Live from the Variety Arts Theater in Los Angeles, California, the golden days of Christmas. Welcome to the Golden Days of Christmas. Two hours of star-studded entertainment featuring live, in person, radio's Tom Mix, Curly Bradley, Bobby Brzee, Bob Cummings, Howard Duff, Sam Edwards, Marvin Miller, Tyler McVeigh, Frank Nelson, Les Tremaine, Lorraine Tuttle, Rudy Valley, Viola Vaughn, Janet Waldo, Willard Waterman, Rhoda Williams, and now your host for the full two hours, Frank Brzee. Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. Best wishes for the holiday season to all of you from every one of the stars Bill Baldwin just mentioned. From the American Forces Radio and Television Service, its staff and management, and of course from myself, we once again invite you to join us in sharing our happiness and joy as we present this 15th annual two-hour Golden Days of Christmas. Assembled on our stage in person for this special Yuletide program, we are again presenting some of the greatest performers radio ever had to offer. And during the next 120 minutes, we hope to recreate some fond memories of Christmas by recreating some great radio programs of those years. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the best of the best as we celebrate Christmas 1982. To open our show, here's one of the great stars of radio. It's a pleasure to introduce Rudy Valley. For Hollywood, that screwy pally hooey Hollywood, where any office boy or young mechanic can be a panic with just a good looking pan. And any barmaid can be a star maid if she dances with or without a fan. Come out, come out, wherever you are. Yes, you too can be a movie star. You've heard of the Gables and Garbos. You'd like to be one of them? Well, you're the ones they're roaring for over at MGM. Listen, Mr. Romeo, they're calling you west to RKO. Hooray for Hollywood, that phony super coney Hollywood. They come from Chillicothe's and Paducah's with their bazookas to get their names up in lights. And armed with photos from local rotos, with their hair in ribbons and their legs in tights. Hooray for Hollywood, where you're terrific if you're even good. Where anyone at all from Shirley Temple to Amy Semple is equally understood. Go out and try your luck, you might be Donald Duck. Or bring your brother and don't be tardy, you might be the new Laurel and Hardy. There's always room for another star. Just say, move over there, Hedy Lamar. <laughs> Camera action! Because it's Hollywood 
You may be homely in your neighborhood, but if you think that you can be an actor, see Mr. Factor, he'd make a monkey look good. Within a half an hour, you'll look like Tyrone Hart. Hooray for Thank you, thank you, Rudy. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Frank. Thanks to these, to this wonderful audience. Playing <laughs> <laughs> such a great audience, the ushers will now pass among you and give each one of you my autograph. Please have your money ready. <laughs> Rudy, it's great to have you back for another big show. Well, I couldn't refuse, Frank. Why not? They didn't ask me. <laughs> I'm doing this for my agent. Otherwise, I have to give him 10% of my Christmas presents. Well, nevertheless, Rudy, you're the very spirit of Christmas around here. Oh, you've noticed my new angel hair color? <laughs> it's a cross between uh, uh, Fredericks of Hollywood and uh, Grecian Formula 16. <laughs> like the purple tint? Quite chic, don't you think? <laughs> yes, ah, Rudy. You're really full of the jouis de vie. Oh, well, you know these Christmas Eve open houses. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't make yours, Rudy. You always have such a beautiful tree. Yes, and you know, this year they were running around $6 a foot. Yeah. But I finally picked out one that didn't set me back too much. Did you have much trouble carting it home? Yes, it kept falling out of the tweezers. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what kind of a tree was it? It was a silver tip. And you know the price of silver today. Oh, I know, I know. Excuse me, fellas, may I cut in on this conversation? You mean with an uppercut? Are you referring to my screen appearances? <laughs> you know, Rudy, Bill is the famous fight announcer in the motion picture Rocky III. And don't forget I was in Rocky I and Rocky II. Bill, let me give you some advice on your career. From a man who's long on advice. From a man who's long on career. <laughs> Very long. You are doing too many Rocky pictures. Your career is going down a rocky road. Yeah. You're on the ropes. You've been knocked out. The count is ten. The canvas is calling. You're slipping down the chutes. Now, now, wait a minute. Save your money. You did and kept it. And I'm not letting it go. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bill has a career that'll go on forever. And speaking of careers, Rudy, you certainly had an exciting one. Yes, 1929 was a very good year for me. And a bad year for everybody else. <laughs> I hope you're referring to the stock market crash. Mm. Of course he is, Rudy. It's just that in 1929, Rudy Valley began the first big variety show on radio, The Fleischman Hour. I know that, Frank. And during the years to follow, there were so many wonderful shows. Tell you what, why don't we have our cast recreate the openings of some of the great shows just like we did last year? Okay, Bill. From Radio City, New York, the Rudy Valley Hour with Billy Burke, Lou Holtz, and the great profile, John Barrymore. My time is your time. <laughs> Henry? Henry Ulrich. Come in, Mother. Stay tuned for the guiding light brought to you by the makers of P&G Soap. And now, life can be beautiful. John Ruskin wrote this. Whenever money is the principal object of life, it is both got ill and spent ill, <laughs> and does harm in both getting and spending. When getting and spending happiness is our aim, life can be beautiful. <laughs> This, 
This is One Man's Family, Book 17, Chapter 9. Father Barber has too much Christmas spirit and gets arrested. Coca-Cola presents the Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy Show with Mortimer Snurd, Effie Klinker, Ray Noble and his orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Baldwin. Procter and Gamble, makers of Oxidol, presents Virginia Payne, starring as everyone's own Ma Perkins. Thank you. And remember, ladies, Oxidol's really swell, but does, does everything. <laughs> Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Look, look in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Super person. Oh, gee. <laughs> Jim Razors and Jim Blades presents The Adventures of the Falcon, starring Les Tremaine as the Falcon. Hello. Yes, this is the Falcon. Give me the address. I'll be right there. Captain Midnight. Yes, Captain Midnight. Brought to you every day, Monday through Friday, by the makers of Ovaltine, America's favorite food drink. Rinso. White. Rinso. White. Happy little wash day song. <laughs> I'm the Whistler. <laughs> and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes. I know the secrets, the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And now, in cooperation with the editors of True Detective magazine and the Mutual Broadcasting System, True Detective Mysteries, brought to you by Exlax, America's fastest moving product. <laughs> Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is Raymond, your host, to welcome you in through the squeaking door to another half hour of horror. Come in, won't you? Sit down. I hope you'll forgive me if I don't get up, but I'm terribly tired. I spent last night with a friend who's a book collector, specializes in bestsellers. He certainly showed me some interesting ones. In fact, he tried to bury me in one, because all the very best sellers have corpses in them. <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> the Tom Mix Ralston straight shooters are on the air with action, mystery, and mile-a-minute thrills in radio's biggest Western detective program. Come on, boy! Shred it, roast it for your breakfast. Start the day off shining bright. 
gives you lots of cowboy energy with a flavor that's just right. It's delicious and nutritious, bite-sized and ready to eat. Take a tip from Tom, go and tell your mom shredded Goldston can't be beat. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America and the story of the man that moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to find. It's a chancy job and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. <laughs> L-S-M-F-T! L-S-M-F-T! You said it! Yes, sir! Why, sure! You bet! Oh, so old American! <laughs> Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So round, so firm, so fully packed. So free and easy on the draw. Would you like to be queen for a day? <laughs> Johnny presents the Philip Morris Playhouse. Call for Philip Morris. Call for Philip Morris. <laughs> and now, get ready to smile again with radio's home folks, Vic and Sade, brought to you by Crisco. Please remember, Uncle Sam needs your used fat. Ladies, get your fat cans down to the market today. Well, those were some great shows, Bill, but I didn't hear any young people. Oh, Frank, young people in radio 30 years ago were pretty much like young people today. <laughs> are you kidding? Well, uh, there are some minor differences, maybe. Take Corliss Archer, for instance. She came to radio after delighting thousands in the popular Broadway show by F. Hugh Herbert. Here's the original Corliss Archer, Janet Waldo, and the original Dexter, Sam Edwards, with Tyler McVeigh as Mr. Archer in Meet Corliss Archer. <laughs> It's Christmas season at the Archers, but everything isn't mistletoe and holly with an archer named Corliss. In fact, Corliss is worried that Santa Claus may have lost her address. Right now, she's talking over her problems with her father. What am I going to do, Daddy? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know there's a bad echo in this room? How can you joke about this, Daddy? I can't tell you how awful it was at Schroeder's last night when there I was having a soda with that lifeguard, Jerry Allen, and Dexter came walking in, and he wouldn't let me explain. I mean, how could I explain? Well, you could have told him you wanted to spend some time with a boy who had some muscles in his arms instead of in his head. Oh, Daddy, it's not funny. Oh, Dexter will never forgive me. I know it. I know it. Now, now, wait a minute. Corliss, I've I... been waiting for 24 solid hours. How many times have we gone 24 hours without hearing a word from Dexter? Not very often, but it's been heaven. 
Daddy. I only went out with Jerry Allen because he was the son of one of your clients. That's the only reason, baby? Well, that and because he looked so yummy as a lifeguard on the beach last summer. But he's lost all his tan, and in clothes he doesn't look like a lifeguard. Well, why don't you just tell Dexter the truth? He'd never believe me. Why not? Because he knows I always lie to him. Well, not always, but he can't tell for sure. The poor dope. Does uh, uh, Dexter ever lie to you? Dexter isn't smart enough to lie. <laughs> He's so good and so dumb. Daddy, it just won't be Christmas for me unless I can make up with Dexter. I'm going to call him up. Uh, do you think I should just put my pride in my pocket? I'll hold it for you while you're on the phone. <laughs> oh, he'll understand. I'm sure he'll understand. He's got to understand. He's just got to understand. Franklin residence. Dexter, this is Carlos. Ha. Listen, Dexter, you've got to understand that I love you. Ha. What is love? Love is a temporary chemical reaction that only fools believe will last. It's a silly dream, a ridiculous notion, a bubble, a poof. Are you reading that from something? We live, we suffer, we die. And only the undertaker laughs. Oh, perfidious person, oh, faithless female. You have no right to talk to me that way. Have I not? <laughs> ha! And double ha! Dexter, what's going to happen to me? Frankly, Corliss, I don't give a damn. Dexter! 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 Well, what did he say? He hung up on me. He called me perfidious. He called me faithless. He called me a... A female! Want your pride back? He can't talk to me that way. How can he be so completely lacking in understanding? He is stupid. He's just as stupid as you've always said he is. And crude. The names he called no, me. No, no, no. He's Call just not I'm... worthy of my affection. He's not. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him! There's that echo again. I don't know how I ever could have loved him. Oh, when I think I've given him the best years of my life. Oh, I hate him! This is a madhouse. I'm getting out of here. That could be Dexter. That, or a sea lion beached on the lawn. Hi, Corliss. Hi, Dad. Hi, Mr. Archer. How is everybody? Baffled, but still breathing. Oh, golly, Dexter, I thought you were mad at me. You broke my heart Aww. But it's too close to Christmas to carry a grudge mm. Besides, I'm out of the game You've benched me, Corliss I have? I asked nothing of you I hope you'll be happy with Jerry Allen I asked nothing except Well, maybe if you want to After you're married You might call your first dog Dexter I simply can't understand why you couldn't understand that I understood you wouldn't understand. Huh? Well, do you, Dex? Does he what? 
Oh, you wouldn't understand, Daddy. Einstein wouldn't understand. <laughs> what does it matter, Corliss? Oh, here's your Christmas present from me. Oh. I hope you like it. Oh, you shouldn't have. I wouldn't have, but I couldn't take it back. They don't take back back scratchers. Can you blame them? And here's a poem I wrote to you before you broke my heart. Oh. Merry Christmas, Corliss Archer. I am simply nuts about you. Here's my present, darling, witches to be used to scratch your itches. Oh, oh Dexter, that's practically Shakespeare. I know. Well, I gotta go now, Corliss. Betty Cameron is waiting for me. Betty Cameron? Yes, she says she'll help mend my broken heart. Well, if I don't see you until after Christmas, you can just leave my present with my mom. You're going to take out that frizzed-out blonde? Yeah. <laughs> Dexter Franklin, she is a designing female. I know, and what a design. <laughs> That's big of me. It's big of me, too. <laughs> I forgive you, Corliss. Oh, you're hateful, Dexter Franklin. I despise you. I'd never want to be seen with anybody who'd been seen with Betty Cameron. Oh, holy cow, Corliss. Betty isn't so bad. Huh? That is, if you can tell a book by its cover. <laughs> if Betty Cameron is a book... Her index is scrambled, her appendix is in the wrong place, and her binding is loose. Gee whiz, I never noticed. Out. Out of my house. Out of my life. Holy cow, Corliss. Here, Ouch. take you... back your back scratcher. Hey, not the back scratcher. That's going to stop. Holy cow. For the love of Pete, why can't children be born 40 years old? <laughs> Thank you, Jenna Waldo, Sam Edwards, and Tyler McVeigh. And now the most famous of all cowboy detectives, as the golden days of Christmas presents radio's original comics, Curly Bradley. The comics, Ralston straight shooters are on the air. And here comes Tom Mix, America's favorite cowboy. Up to me, come on, boy. Shredded roasted for your breakfast. Start the day off shining bright. Gives you lots of cowboy energy with a flavor that's just right. It's delicious and nutritious, bite-sized and ready to eat. Take a tip from Tom, go and tell your mom, shredded Rolston can't be beat. Winter comes fast and hard in the western states. Yesterday, the sun was bright and hard on the TM Bar Ranch house. Last night, the first few snowflakes began dotting the air. And this gray morning, the snow is beginning to pile up towards the sills of the windows, yellow with their own light. Inside, the owner of the TM bar, Tom Mix, is carrying a big box of Christmas decorations over to a table near the fireplace. Tom's permanent house guest, Sheriff Mike Shaw, is warming his shoes by the dancing fire, his hands clasped over his ample middle. 
Tom claps a hand on Mike's shoulder. <laughs> Careful there, old partner. He don't want to barbecue those boots in that fireplace. Well, you never fear, Tom. Those cowhides are just warm and toasty. Sure is nice just sitting here quiet like for a change, with no worries to rile us, huh? Mike, I'm afraid there's always worries for a U.S. Marshal like me, and for you, Dobie County Sheriff. Well, you, you got something particular on your mind, Tom? I, I know Christmas isn't time for it, Mike. Naturally, as her guardian, I want to... Make things as nice as possible for little Janie. Yet, I've got a feeling, a hunch. Hey, what is it, Tom? I know those hunches of yours. More than once, you've had a hunch we should take cover just before some rustler's hot lead comes streaking our way. Well, I can't put my finger on it, Mike. It's just that... Well, I got a feeling somewhere between my kerchief and my gun belt that we're going to be busy this Christmas. Mighty busy. These jingle bells out in the storage shed. Do you suppose we could get a chance to use them? Well, it could be, honey. What? You mean you want Tom and me to decorate prime horse flesh like Tony and Redskin and go prancing down the lane with those bells on? Oh, no, Mike, of course not. I thought maybe we could get the sleigh out this year. Well, snow's not been deep enough for that for several years. Well, it looks like it'll get deep enough for the sleigh this year, Mike. We'll have to think about that a little bit later, Janie. Right now, I was just fixing to put up our decorations. Can I help, Tom? Sure you can, Janie. Hey, what's that out there in the porch? It's a rider. Somebody's ridden a horse right up on the front porch of the ranch house. Naturally, we couldn't hear him coming through the snow. Oh, there's the door. Janie, open the door, please. Oh, of course, Tom. You think this could be the trouble you were expecting, Tom? Well, we're about to find out. Oh, Tom, Tom, makes thank the Lord you're here. Why, it's Martha Nordling. Martha, <laughs> what can we do for you? Janie, bring Martha over here by the fire. Oh, come on, Martha. Get over Tom, it, it sure looks like your hunch was another bullseye. Yeah, looks like it, Mike. It sure does. Martha, can I get you a cup of coffee? Oh, Tom, there's no time for that. It's Pete, my little boy, Pete. He's lost, Tom. He's somewhere out in all this snow and wind. Lost and alone. <laughs> better, Martha? Now, you must tell me about it, calmly and slowly. Now, for the sake of your boy, Martha, you must. I understand, Tom. I can do what has to be done. I've walked 20 miles when the horse went lame some years ago. I fought off a mountain panther with my broom. But that was me. This is Pete. Calmly, slowly, Martha. Yes. Yes, I must. For Pete. Tom, you know how much Pete admires you, looks up to you. He thinks the sun rises and sets on Tom Mix. Well, Pete's in my straight shooters club in Dobie. We're partners. Yes, you would look at it that way. He's just the same as the other boys to you, just as good as any. But everybody isn't like you, Tom. You're a good man, but others can be mean, petty. Others don't like Pete because his father went to prison. In fact, they hate him. My little boy. Well, I find it hard to believe anybody could hate a fine young man like Pete. Well, he certainly isn't responsible for anything that Ed Norling done. But if there are such people, 
What does this have to do with Pete being missing? Oh, it's all mixed up together. I was going to buy a new horse for Pete for his Christmas present. I was going to buy it from that new trainer in town, Sam Watkins. Yeah. Pete picked out a young sorrel. Looked like your Tony, Tom, a bit. Mm. I arranged for payments. It was all set. Then people told Sam Watkins about my husband going to prison. That he said our credit was no good. He wouldn't sell me the horse on time. Well, we'll see if my money is good enough for Mitt Watkins. You can pay me back when you can, Martha. Yes, Pete said you would say that. That's what he said in the note. He was coming over here to the TM bar to see you, to get you to talk to Watkins. He wouldn't take my horse. He went on foot through this snowstorm. Hunderation, Tom. If he's out in this storm... Yes, Mike, I know. Martha, you must have tried to follow him. Oh, I did, Tom. I followed his footprints as far as the stand of Cottonwoods between our places. But the snow got deeper. The footprints, they disappeared. I could only make out the lights of your ranch house. And now the snow is swirling even harder. Well, we've talked enough. I'm going out after him, Martha. Oh, bless you, Tom. Oh, Tom, you can't go on foot. The two of you would just get lost. Yeah, Tom. And no horse could get through drifts this here deep. Well, one horse can, Tony can. He took me through Devil's Pass a few years back when the snow was this bad. Or nearly so. Oh, no, Tom, it's worse than that time. Much worse. You can't go. Not even Tony can make it. Jane, listen to me. We can't just leave Pete out there in the storm. Not when he was counting on me. No man could do that. Or, regardless of age, no straight shooter could do that. I've always taught you that it isn't just what we do for ourselves that counts. It's what we do for each other. Now, that's what I mean by being a straight shooter. And if Tony could know what's at stake, don't you think he would want us to try? You're right, Tom. You and Tony must find Pete... And I know you'll do it. If anybody on earth can do it, you and Tony will. All right, Tony. Come on, Tony boy. Come on, son. We're almost at the stand of those cottonwoods. Yeah. All right, a little more, Pete. Pete's a smart boy. He'll seek shelter. Try to build a fire. Not likely he could start a fire in this window. Sure is cold. Snow's like little ice daggers biting into your face. Well, can't find that now. Come on, son, a little more. Come on, Tony. Up a little more. Keep going. Head up. Oh, easy, easy. Steady, Tony, steady. Yeah, we kind of hit a deep spot that time. Yeah, we're okay now. Not much you shouting into this wind for Pete. He might hear gunshots and recognize the signals. I'll try a few shots into the air. That's the standard signal in these parts for the use of rescue parties. Pete knows that. Tony, there he is, coming toward us, but slow. Mighty slow. Let's get over there to him. Come on, Tony. Come on, boy. Up. Come on, Tony. Pete, it's Tom Mix. Here I am. A little more, Tony. Come on. Come on. Wait a minute. I've got you, Pete. I've got you. I got you. He's passed out, Tony. No wonder I got him just as he started to keel over. Got to get him up on the saddle in front of me. Now, a little more. Now, now it's up to you, Tony. 
you got the hard part. You got to get Pete and me back to the ranch house. But where is it, Tony? Oh, turn around. I'm, I'm lost. Well, I never thought it would happen to me. Tom Mix lost. Well, pride goeth before a fall. I read in books how even old-timers like Jim Bridger and Kit Carson could get lost at times. So I guess I'm no different. Well, gotta go in some direction. Can't stand still. What's your feelings in this matter, Tony? You want to try that way? Okay, son. Okay, we'll go your way. Can't tell but the direction of the wind. Seems to come from everywhere it wants. Oh, my ears are ringing. Eyes are all blurt with snow. Ain't gotta hold on to Pete. Gotta hold on to the saddle horn. Gotta hold on. Hearing things now. Funny things. Starting to imagine things now. Starting to imagine. No, by heaven, I'm not imagining it. It's jingle bells. It must be Mike and Jane back at the ranch house ringing the jingle bells to lead us in, Tony. The sound of bells carries even through this wind. What's that? What's a star? A star brighter than the rest of them. It's our Christmas tree star up on the roof, on the chimney. We can follow the bells and follow the star. We'll bring Pete home, Tony. We'll be home. Pete's sleeping quietly, Tom. Doc Green said he should just rest. Then he'd be fine. Just fine. Oh, how can I thank you, Tom? Don't thank me, Martha. Thank Tony. Thank Jane and Mike for thinking of using the jingle bells and the Christmas star to lead us in. Well, it was Jane who thought of the jingle bells, Tom. Oh, but it was Mike who thought of climbing up on that icy roof to put up the Christmas star to lead you, Tom. Well, thanks to both of you. Thoughtfulness and consideration for others is something we should all be thinking about this time of year. And all year. Something I'm going to talk about to Sam Watkins and certain other people in Dobie. Maybe even those folks can come to see the light. Once again, we say goodbye to the TM Bar Ranch. Tom Mix was played by Curly Bradley, Sheriff Mike Shaw by Tyler McVeigh, Jane by Rhoda Williams, and Martha by Viola Vaughn. The script was by Jim Harmon, Marvin Miller speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Thank you, Curly Bradley. Tom Mix of Radio, and thanks to Jim Harmon for writing this special sketch. Curly, I understand you and Jim are now preparing a special 50th anniversary series of the, of the Tom X. Ralston Straight Shooters radio program. That's right, Frank. Tom X. rides again in 1983. We hope to be on more than 300 radio stations. Well, I've been a Ralston straight shooter and a fan of Curly Bradley for a long time. I know a lot of people like me are going to be delighted to hear about this. But tell me, Curly, you haven't been Tom X. all those 50 years, have you? Oh, no, no. I first started singing the theme song on this show, Frank, 1936. And soon I was playing one of the leading roles. 
I graduated to the title role in 1944. And to a lot of people, I guess I've been Tom Mix ever since. <laughs> to me, Curly Bradley will always be Tom Mix. Well, thank you, Frank. And remember, straight shooters always win. Adios. Thank you, Curly. <laughs> There are certain people who simply won't admit that nature does anything right. They're the kind who spray green paint on pink carnations for St. Patrick's Day, clip poodle dogs to look like anemic lions, and try to turn perfectly good plowboys into half-baked top sergeants. Here's one of those people now shopping for a Christmas tree. Here's one of Fibber McGee's closest friends. It's Willard Waterman as the Great Gildersleeve. How much you charge me to paint this Christmas tree white? Why do you want it white, Gildersleeve? Yeah, what do you mean, why do I want it white? Yeah. You've got a hundred trees in this lot, all painted white. Yeah, but I think they're horrible. But some people like them that way. Yeah, never mind the artistic comment, Fred. How much? Ten dollars. Ten dollars? Yes. Ooh, to spray a little white paint on this half-pint tree? Mm -hmm. Who do you think you are, Rembrandt? <laughs> uh, look, maybe you didn't understand. I want this tree painted white, not gold-plated. Ten bucks. Oh, you're a pirate. I bet you made $200 already today. And you're a cheapskate, and I've already made $340. Oh, you're a robber. Uh, you want to sell a half interest in the lot? And you're stupid, too. And I wouldn't sell my mother a half interest. You're a little good no Don Conrad. I wouldn't give you the time. Yeah. <laughs> Dirty swindler, cheating people right and left, making 400 bucks a day. I don't know whether to report him to the Chamber of Commerce or make him a better offer for a half interest. Yeah, I ought to... Oh, hello, Alice. Hi, Mr. Gildersleeve. Hey, say, where's Mr. McGee? Oh, he's away for a couple of days, and I'm watching his house. What are you doing home from work at this hour? Oh, my fingernails, they get so cruddy on that job, and... Boy, you look kind of mad, Mr. Gildersleeve. Something wrong? Yeah, well, that guy that runs a Christmas tree lot at 14th and Oak, dirty pine broker, only changed 10 bucks to paint a, a Christmas tree white. Jeepers, $10 just to paint a little old tree white? Artie took me out Saturday night with $10, and we painted the town red. For $10? Plus tax, of course. Yeah, of course. But you can stop worrying about a Christmas tree, Mr. Gildersleeve. Marvin's bringing me a great big white tree tomorrow. Oh, well, that's swell, Alice. Uh, who's Marvin? Oh, Marvin's the lady wrestler whose boyfriend owns a tree farm and a paint shop. Out in the country's nephew? You, well, I don't care if he's second cousin to a monkey's uncle. As long as I get a free Christmas tree. They're the best kind. But you still didn't tell me how come you're home from the plant early today, Alice. You didn't get fired. Oh, no, Mr. Gildersleeve. In fact, I got promoted today to head welder. You? Head welder? That's what the foreman said. He handed me his torch and he said, Alice, you're the new head welder. And I said, wow, gee, thanks. Whose head do I want to weld first? <laughs> and then he grabbed his torch back and he told me to take the rest of the day off. Yeah, wise move. So I came home to wrap some presents and... Oh, oh this one's for you, Mr. Gildersleeve. I nearly forgot. Oh, say... That's a beautiful package, Alice. Uh, you know, 
shouldn't have bought an expensive-looking thing like that just for me. Oh, I didn't. Dr. Gamble left it for you. Oh? Well, old Fatso really popped this time. Sure a pretty rap job, huh? Yeah. Anything done up as fancy as this must have caught Doc Gamble and an appendectomy and three Band-Aids. <laughs> Although his prices, two Band-Aids might have paid for it. Oh. Uh, let me get this tissue paper out of the way. And... Oh. oh, look at that, Alice. Isn't that the most beautiful present you ever saw? Wow, creepers, isn't that the most beautiful present? It sure is. Knock your eyes out. <laughs> I haven't seen so much chrome since what the silver service Aunt Sarah sent me last year turned out to be. <laughs> look at all those round things on the bottom and, and all those little pointy things that look like daggers. Yeah, that's right. This handle on the top of it, or is that the side of it? Oh, search me. Yeah, think of the workmanship that went into this. Look how solid it's built, Alice, see? And expensive. You don't see these babies at the dime store. I've never seen one anywhere. What is it? Yeah, what is it? Why, it's one of those that uh, you use it to, uh, well, it's a sort of a, eh, I don't know. Oh. Well, weren't there any directions or anything in the, in the package? No, no, nothing at all. Oh, look at this thing. I don't know whether to cook with it, listen to it, or hang it in the shower. <laughs> I don't know whether to tune it in, turn it on, or toss it out. <laughs> Well, why don't you call Dr. Gamble and ask him? Oh, no, no, I can't do that, Alice. When mm -hmm. a guy gives you a beautiful present like this, you hate to admit you haven't got the brains to know what it's for. Well, boy, I wish I could help you figure this thing out, Mr. Gildersleeve, but I've got some presents to take around. Oh? Yeah, where are they? Up in your room? No, I left them right here in Mr. McGee's hall. No, 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 Alice, don't open. No, no, right here in Mr. McGee's hall table drawer. Oh. <laughs> See you later, Mr. Gillespie. Merry Christmas! <laughs> that Doc Gamble, big fat troublemaker, give me a beautiful, thoughtful, expensive gift like this. He must have spent hours picking it out, especially for me, not telling me what to do with it. If he was here right now, I'd tell him what to do with it. But he probably wouldn't do it. <laughs> uh, maybe I, if I look at different sides of it. Let's see, if I set it this way, it looks like... Uh, no, no. Oh, maybe this is the way it sits. Uh, with those pointed little dagger things on the side. If I hold it up this way, and somebody jogged my arm, I'd have two holes in my leg. <laughs> oh, that can be right. Oh, dear, this is the rottenest thing doctor's done to me since he took my tonsils out in 1939. I only had one tonsil, he charged me for two. <laughs> Thirty bucks to take out one tonsil. Little bitty one at that. Yeah, but I don't hold a grudge. I'll pay the 30 bucks one of these days. <laughs> but, oh, if that's that old pill pusher, I'll, you come in. Well, if it ain't Mabel Troops. Uh, Merry Christmas, my dear. And the same to you, Throckmorton. I just dropped over to thank Molly for the handkerchief she gave me. Oh, very pretty. Oh, yes. Uh, my niece Marjorie said to thank you for the handkerchief you gave her. Came in handy yesterday when she got the sniffles. I'm glad she could use it. Yeah, she was home right now. She'd give you a blow-by-blow account of it. <laughs> well, don't you get it, Basil? It's a pun. Blow-by-blow. Blow Blowing your nose. 
That's not very funny, Mr. Gildersleeve. Too subtle for you, huh? Oh, well. My, Fibber and Molly must have made out like bandits this Christmas from the looks of all the packages under their tree. Oh, yes, they did all right. By the way, how do you like this thing Doc Gamble gave me? Hmm, from Doc Gamble, huh? I gave Mort one of those last year for his birthday. Oh, good. Oh, the best-looking salesman came to my door. Never mind. He was selling those door-to-door. Oh, boy, was he a knockout. He looked like a cross between Burt Reynolds and Tom Selleck. All right, all right, let's start over. You gave one of these things to Mort. What did he do with it? Oh, he still has it. But, I mean, what was it for? For his birthday, I told you. (laughs) I know. But what's it good for? All I know is what that handsome salesman told me, and he said it was good for years and years. Oh, my goodness. Didn't he tell you what the stupid thing is? I forgot to ask. He was so good looking. Oh, Oh, fine. There's got to be some way to figure what this is. Say, I bet it's some kind of newfangled gopher trap. Now, why would Doc Gamble give you a gopher trap? We don't have gophers around here. So what? You gave me Paris garters last year, and we're 4,000 miles from France. (laughs) I got kind of a vague feeling that I've seen one of these things before. But I can't remember when, or where, or even if. Now, you didn't see Mort's. He got so disgusted trying to figure out what to do with it, he threw it in the garage, forgot it was there, backed the car over it, and ruined a brand new $9 retread. Well, I'm not giving up on this. There'll be somebody who knows what this thing is. They don't ring that doorbell pretty soon. I'm going to run out of ideas. Oh, good. Come in, come in. Well, Mayor Latrivia, Merry Christmas. Thank you. And Merry Christmas to you, Throckmorton. And to you too, Mrs. Toops. Merry Christmas, Mr. Mayor. I'm glad to see you, Mayor. I've got kind of a problem on my hands. Well, glad to help, Gildy. Uh, what seems to be your trouble? Well, it's this thing I got for Christmas, a little trivia. What's it for? What's it for, he says. Yeah, that's all, brother. Class dismissed. Forget it. Are you having a nice holiday, Mr. Mayor? Oh, splendid, thank you. I'm flying to England tomorrow night to attend a class reunion. <laughs> my old school should be jolly. Yeah, jolly well sounds jolly, all right. <laughs> but England... I always thought you went to school in the East, Mr. Mayor. No, no, I was educated in England, Mrs. Toops. Graduated from Eton College. Well, well. You mean the English have a special college where they teach you just that? You teach what? Eton. You said you graduated from an Eton College. I had no idea they specialize like that over there. Well, I'm afraid you misunderstood me, Mrs. Toops. (laughs) You see, Eton College is a famous English school. Well, what'll they think of next? I've heard of Business College and Barber College, but an Eton College? I didn't say I attended an Eton College. I merely said I attended the Eton School. The one and only Eton School. The only one I ever heard of, I know that. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Uh, what'd you measure in the trivia? How to carve at formal dinners? <laughs> or did you just go for the straight degree in LLD? Doctor of Light Lunches. <laughs> now, just just a moment, please. Uh, this confusion... Oh, I'll bet you were a brilliant student, Mr. Mayor. Honor student, probably. 
How'd you graduate? Magna, come and get it? Yeah. <laughs> no! Well, I'd sure like to see your diploma sometime. Hey, what's it look like? A cross knife and fork on a saucer of tea? With a mutton chop rampant on a field of Yorkshire pudding? Oh, stop it! Of all the stupid, deliberate... Now, 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 Mr. Mayor, let's not get excited. Yeah, watch your blood pressure, Mr. Mayor. Don't expect us to watch it for you. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. Now, now, listen, please. I merely said that I attended Eton College in England. E-T-O-N. Eton. E-T-O-N? That is the name of the school. They don't teach eating there. They... No, they don't teach spelling either. <laughs> E-T-O-N. Eaten. Huh. You hear that, Mabel? <laughs> yes, a college man and he can't spell eaten. I'm not trying to yell sweeten. They smell eaten. they beaten. Smell eaten. Look. When I said I went to Skeeton Pool in Bingland, maybe England, I didn't mean I skent the pool to earn the leet. I went to school to burn my feet. It would turn the meat. It would be beat to see. He, you were the ones who, yeah, 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 you, Yes, Mr. Mayor? You've often said you'd like a job in my office. There'll be an opening at the City Hall tomorrow. And you are the man I'd like to put in it. Well, swell. What do you call it? The elevator shaft! Good day! Oh! Wise guy. Just because he went to eat in school, he takes it on a lamb. Me oh. too. Bye. Oh, bye. Yeah, fat lot of help I got out of those two. Yeah, look at this. Silly looking hunk of confusion. Now, let me see. This handle here, I guess it's a handle. Kind of an opal shaped metal hoop that looks like a handle. Although, come to think of it, there's a thing in the kitchen with four metal loops like this. And it's an egg beater. Yeah, maybe they sit. No, it can't be an egg beater. Too big. That's of course you wanted to beat some ostrich eggs. <laughs> oh, interruptions, interruption. Yeah, I certainly need interrupting. I get so tired of talking to myself. I, come in. Hi, Gildy. Merry Christmas. Oh well, Merry Christmas to you too, Frank. Come in. Pull up a chair. Oh, sit don't, down. don't mind if I do. You having a good Christmas? Well, yes. Except for this gift from Doc Campbell. He gave me a thing that I don't know what the heck it is. And I'm sick of looking at it, too. It's going back in the box. You don't know what it is. Mind if I see it? No, 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 no. Forget it. I'm sick of the darn thing. Is it something mechanical? Are there any moving parts in it? Well, I haven't been able to find any. A few minutes ago, I was turning it this way and that, and all of a sudden, a sharp pain went through me. Kind you... of a stabbing sensation. You mean like electricity or something? No, like somebody left her manicure scissors on the chair and I sat on them. <laughs> Let me see that thing, Gildy. I saw one of these somewhere. No, it was a pair of them on a guy's desk. Look, if you turn this thing this way, it looks like one half of a space shuttle. Yeah, it does. Sort of. You need a pair of them. This is a bookend. Say, now I remember where I saw one of these before. 
McGee bought one last year from a door-to-door -door salesman, and he didn't know what it was either. I think he put it right here, in the hall closet. No, no, don't open that door! got to straighten out that closet one of these days. <laughs> oh, here it is, Frank. Oh, that is the lousiest looking pair of bookends. Yo, this is ridiculous. Merry Christmas, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> This is Frank Brzee again, reminding you that this special two-hour Christmas program will continue following station identification and five minutes of the latest news from many American Forces Network stations around the world.
golden days of Christmas begins its second hour. In the next 60 minutes, we'll hear live Curly Bradley, Bobby Brzee, Bob Cummings, Howard Duff, Sam Edwards, Marvin Miller, Tyler McVeigh, Frank Nelson, Les Tremaine, Lorene Tuttle, Rudy Valley, Viola Vaughn, Janet Waldo, Willard Waterman, and Rhoda Williams. And now, once again, ladies and gentlemen, your host for the golden days of Christmas, Mr. Frank Brissee. Once again, may I say Merry Christmas to all of you who have just joined us for our 15th annual Christmas Day greeting from America. And may I also extend the compliments of the season from every one of the stars Bill Baldwin just mentioned, from the American Forces Radio and Television Service, and from myself. It also goes without saying, a very happy new year. Like the calendar that comes from the insurance company, in a few days we'll be getting that annual gift from old father time. The gift of a new year, 365 clean, bright new days full of hope and promise. It's the greatest gift any of us could ask, the chance to wring out the cares and mistakes of the old year and start the new with a larger heart, a kinder hand, and renewed faith in the future and our ambitions. Each holiday season, our program is honored to bring into your homes all these wonderful stars from the entertainment world. This Christmas is no exception as we present the distinguished motion picture and television star Bob Cummings in a delightful comedy written 35 years ago entitled, You Can't Argue With Love. Our play begins in the office of Congressman Ross Billings in Washington, D.C. Congressman Billings, played by Bob Cummings, has had a hard day. He sinks back in his chair behind the desk, closes his eyes for a bit of a rest. But at that moment, the door opens and Buzz Carter enters breezily. Greetings, Ross. How's the House of Representatives? Oh, hello, Buzz. I, I was just trying to catch a little catnap. Gee, I'm worn out. How come you're not listening to the radio? Why should I be listening to the radio? Why, Ross, I'm surprised at you. Martha Sterling's making a speech. Martha who? Ross, what's Washington done to you? You ought to know Martha Sterling. She's from your home state. And believe me, there's an up-and-coming woman. Really, what you coming up for, air? <laughs> My boy, Martha Sterling is political dynamite. She's giving the women of this country something to think about. And the men, too. Mae West did that years ago. Why should I be listening to this new bombshell? Keep up with the trend. See how things are going. This is an election year. You want to be reelected, don't you? Listen. And so, women of America, I say to you that we have proven women's ability to shoulder any and every responsibility. Barring sheer muscular strength, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that women cannot do as well, and in many cases, better than men. Boy, of all the right tripe. I am quite sure it is unnecessary for me to mention the thousands of executive positions women have. Areas of business that a few years ago we were told we could not do. We have proven that we are just as capable and just as self-sufficient as men. And I tell you now in all sincerity that with the exception of the comparatively unimportant 
social aspect of the relationship between men and women. Men are of no more importance to women than they have heretofore considered women to be to themselves. Oh, brother, turn that thing off. <laughs> she's dynamite. What did I tell you? Why, of all the conceited... But a lot of people are listening to her. Why, she's especially the women. dangerous. I'd like to meet that man-hater. Yeah, you and me both. You know, she sounds like some gal that couldn't get a guy to look at her twice. Well, I've got an appointment with her tomorrow to find out what her future plans are. Do you want to go along? Oh, listen, Buzz, I've got better things to do with the people's time than listen to crackpot, midget-brained women who are soured on men. Now, don't be hasty, Ross. If she ever decided to run for something, she'd pull a lot of votes. Yeah, and a lot of boners, too. The thing to do with a dame like that is ignore her. Boy, so this is one of Mrs. Gaylord's Washington parties, huh? Looks kind of dull to me. Oh, Anne, somebody will hear you. But they all look like a bunch of stuffed shirts to me. Are they all politicians? Anne, these are some of the biggest people in Washington, in the whole country for that matter. These are some of the people I'm trying to reach. Well, they still look like stuffed shirts to me. Really? Well, what about that, um, that man over there? Uh-oh, are you being unfaithful to your own philosophy, Miss Sterling? Not at all. I recognize the need for men in social life. We need them as escorts, um, husbands. But they aren't really as important as they think they are. I know, I know. But there's one thing you won't admit yes, to... Yes, dear, and I know that by heart. I've never been in love with a man. Someday I might be, but it won't change me in the least. Let's have a sandwich, shall we? Okay. Dull, isn't it? Like dishwater, yes. Well, that's the penalty we... Who are you looking at? What? Oh, nothing. I was just noticing that girl over there. The one eating the sandwich. Oh. Boy, she is gorgeous. Who is she? I don't know. Why don't you ask her? What? Oh, yeah. That, that's a good idea. Why not? Mm, these are good. <laughs> you know, Anne... I completely forgot to have lunch today. Uh, yes? <clears throat> I, I beg your pardon, but I was just admiring your hat. It's most unusual. Thank you. But I'm not wearing a hat. <laughs> well, so you're not. My goodness, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I, um, I'm Ross Billings, representative from the state of Collapse. Why, of course, Mr. Billings, how nice. I've heard of you, and I should know you after all. We're from the same state. I'm Martha Sterling, and this is Anne... What, Mr. Billings, what's the matter? Did you say Martha Sterling? Yes. I wonder, Miss Sterling, if you'd consider me presumptuous if I'd ask you to join me for a hat. I mean, for a bite. Uh, now? Yes, now. I'll be honest, Miss Sterling, I heard your speech this afternoon. I'd like to uh, talk to you about it. Oh, you would? Well, of course, in that case, I should be delighted. I, uh, I take it then, Mr. Billings, that you, uh, don't agree with my sentiments. Seriously, now, you don't really mean I mean it. Surely you agree that women... Well, I have no quarrel with what women are doing. Yet that's fine. 
But it can't continue. On the contrary, women must go even further, take an even more important place in the world. It may not be long before we see a woman president. You've got to be kidding. Look, I'll admit that I heard your speech on the air and I pictured in my mind someone entirely different, a sort of spinster who had these ideas because she couldn't get a man interested. Well, I see I was wrong. But I'm not wrong about women's place in the world. Oh, come on now, Mr. Billings. You're much too intelligent to be one of those women's places in the home, husbands. I'm not married. But if I were, I should certainly want my wife to be in the home. Women are meant to be loved and have children. And scrub men's clothes and darn their socks and cook their meals and clean their houses. That's part of the job, yes. Oh, Mr. Billings, you belong in the 19th century. Women have every bit as much intelligence, talent, ability, inventive genius. For granted that some of them have all that, what does it prove? It proves that we should continue to be given every opportunity to better ourselves, share equally with men in, in, in everything. Well, I think women have been doing that for some time now. Oh, yes, but that isn't the point. Women have had to struggle every inch of the way for everything they've achieved. They've had to, to battle men's prejudice, your kind of attitude. I don't think it's enough that women should merely be permitted an equal chance and opportunity. I want men to admit that women are as good or better in any given field of endeavor and to realize that they are more important than merely a charming companion or, or a capable maid. I'm only sorry for one thing, Miss Sterling. What's that? It's a crying shame that such a beautiful woman who could make a man such a wonderful wife should be such a dim-witted crackpot. Thank you, Mr. Billing. Mr. Billings, may I say in return that it seems too bad that such an attractive, virile young man who could make some woman a wonderful husband should be permitted to represent a great state in the union and dabble in politics when there are thousands of women who could do a much better job. Good night, Mr. Billings. Good night, Miss Sterling. Come on, Martha. Get that dark cloud off your face and drink your coffee. Oh, that man, that impossible, conceited, egotistical, stuffed, masculine baboon. Hmm? Feel better now? Anne, I'll make him eat those words if it's the last thing I do. Hey, wait a minute. You've had arguments with men before over this subject. Lots of them. So why so vindictive about poor little old Rossi? Well, I've... I've met stubborn men, but this, this, this creature, and to think he represents our state in Washington. You stop me if I'm wrong, but little Annie smells more to this than just a little matter of principle. What do you mean? Well, this anger of yours is one of the first really feminine traits you've ever shown. Methinks there's a slight elixir of love assailing my nostrils. Love? With Ross Billings? <laughs> Martha? Well, I'll admit, um... I am attracted to him. How many times have you said you're a thoroughly honest person? I am honest. Are you being honest now? You're right, Anne. I, uh, I think I'm in love with him. Of course you are. If you weren't, you wouldn't be so angry. Well, he is kind of cute. He reminds me a lot of that movie star, Robert Cummings. <laughs> all right, so I am in love with him. That makes it all the more important to make him see things my way. Anne, I've got it. Hand me the phone. What are you up to? Oh, you'll find out. Oh. 
Hello? Uh, well, good morning, Mr. Billings. Good morning. Who is this? Martha Sterling. Well, good morning. I didn't expect to be hearing from you again. Oh, really? Oh, on the contrary, Mr. Billings, you're going to be hearing a great deal from me. That is, unless you haven't the courage of your convictions. Now, see here. Uh, 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 no sense in arguing just between ourselves. We wouldn't be accomplishing a thing. Um, I call to inquire whether you'll be kind enough to meet me in a public debate. A public debate? Certainly. That's the only way to settle this issue. Now, wait a minute. I'm a very busy... Oh, what's the matter, Mr. Billings? Afraid you'll lose? Certainly not. I'll be happy to debate with you any place, any time. Good. Oh, you'll be going home soon, I presume. The primary elections are coming up. Yes. Uh, well, then, uh, we'll hold the debate at home. Might as well let the voters hear what you have to say. <laughs> It's several weeks later. Martha Sterling and Ross Billings have returned to their home state. The debate between them has received much publicity and is the subject for a heated discussion. At last, the long-awaited day arrives. The hall is packed and jammed long before either of the two principals arrive. But finally, Mr. Billings and Miss Sterling seat themselves on the platform and glare at each other across the disturbed countenance of the moderator, Henry Bisbee a mild-mannered little man who doesn't seem to relish the job at all. Martha is seconded by her friend Anne, while in Ross's corner is his campaign manager, Buzz Carter, as he glances about uneasily. What is the matter with you, Buzz? Will you stop fidgeting? Oh, I'm sorry, Ross. I, I wish you wouldn't go through with this. Are you crazy? I've got to go through with it now. Besides, I think I'm going to thoroughly enjoy it. Oh, it's political suicide. Martha, call this whole thing off. Call it off. Call it off? Are you insane? You're making a mistake. This is no way to tell a man you're in love with him. I'll tell him I'm in love with him after I've won the debate. Okay, but it's your funeral. Are you ready, Miss Sterling? Quite ready. Are you ready, Congressman Billings? Oh, yeah, you said it. Very well. Quiet. Quiet, please. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, you are all aware of what is in store for you this evening. Miss Martha Sterling and Congressman Ross Billings meet each other in a debate in which I, Henry Bisbee, shall endeavor to act as moderator. The question is, be it resolved that women have a new place in society. Strangely enough, the affirmative is being argued by Congressman Billings and Miss Sterling will present the argument for the negative. Without further ado, I therefore present to you for a one-minute opening address, Ross Billings, Congressman from the 5th District. Mr. Billings. Hey, hey, hey. Hey. Miss Sterling, Mr. Bisbee, ladies and gentlemen, you have recently been hearing, and I presume listening to the words of my misguided opponent, Martha Sterling. When I first heard her speak over the radio, I remarked to a friend of mine that the only way to cure her was to ignore her. <laughs> However, I must confess that Miss Sterling is not a woman who is easily ignored. Needless to say, we disagree in this question as well as the much larger question of men's place in society. Notice, please, that I said men's place in society. For believe it or not, Miss Sterling 
is of the unqualified opinion that women are much more capable of performing men's accepted jobs and professions than men are. This is not the subject we're debating. Mr. Bisbee. Uh, uh, yeah, yes, uh, Mr. Billings, if you will be so kind, please. She challenged me to the debate that it mattered very little what the subject was. The real subject in her mind is simply, are women better than men? Mr. Bisbee, make him speak on the subject. Can they run your country? Mr. Bisbee. Uh, uh, Mr. Billings. Uh, uh, quiet, yes, please. run your country. You know I'm running for re-election from this district. Miss Sterling has deliberately calculated this debate. Mr. Bisbee, you... will you please Mr. stop? Mr. Billings, I, I must ask you... I tell you, gentlemen, that this idea of women to go unchecked... Ladies and gentlemen, please, quiet, please. I, I'm sorry, Mr. Billings, but your one minute is up. Miss Sterling, will you now deliver your opening one-minute address? Uh, Miss Martha Sterling. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, and Mr. Bisbee, thank you. I'm not going to emulate my unworthy opponent. I'm going to speak on the subject. Women have not changed. Women have always been the same, capable of thinking and acting and managing, capable of building roads and bridges, capable of invention and finance. Yes, even capable of running the country. Women have always meant more to society than a good cake or a clean house or a cute baby. Let us do the things we are capable of doing. Let us continue to demand from men an equal place in their minds and esteem. Let us not revert to the menial tasks that men insist we do. Hey! <laughs> Why don't you tell them what you told me? She thinks that women can do our jobs better than we can. Now, Mr. Billings, if you please... How many times have you heard a woman on the air answer the question of her occupation with the timid, ashamed words of, Oh, I'm just a housewife. Sure, we've heard them. Women are ashamed to have to say, I am just a housewife, and rightly so. There's no good reason under the sun why women should be confined to slave labor just because they fall in love with a man and get married. And what do you know about falling in love? Perhaps more than you think, Mr. Billings. I'll admit it. I not only don't want to see you re-elected, unless you change your attitude, I am positive that these voters won't re-elect you. Uh, uh, the subject... Uh, and who do you think will defeat me? Someone who appreciates the woman's viewpoint. I suppose you think that you could become elected to Congress? If I were running against you, absolutely. <laughs> well, why don't you file if you're so positive? Very well, Mr. Billings. I will. Good. We'll continue this argument on the election platform. Good night. Come on, Buzz. Let's get the hell out of here. Uh, uh, you, you, you go on ahead, Ross. I, I'll, I'll see you later. Uh, Miss Sterling. Uh, Miss Sterling. Yes? I'm, I'm Buzz Carter. Uh, were you serious about running against Billings? Perfectly serious. Great. I'll be up to see you tomorrow. I'm going to handle your campaign. Really? Why should you be interested, Mr. Carter? Because you're going to win. That's why. <laughs> It's almost a month later. The campaign is going well for Martha Sterling, but it seems her love life has come to a complete standstill. That you, Martha? Oh, yes, Anne. Why, Martha, what's the matter? Uh, he, he didn't call me, did he? Call? Mm -hmm. Oh, you mean Ross? No. Oh, I thought sure he'd call me one of these days. 
Well, of all the cockeyed ideas, what makes you think you can humiliate a man in public and then expect to hear from him again? But he knows I love him, I think. And the way he looks at me, I'm sure he loves me too. Now you listen to me, Martha Sterling. You may know all about accomplishing everything there is in a man's world, but you don't know the first little thing about how to get a man. I can understand you're not caring enough about him or caring more about your own career or winning this election. But if you think for one minute that you're going to get Ross Billings by proving that he's wrong, you're as crazy as a hoot owl. But he is wrong. I, I know he is. Is he? Is he wrong about wanting the woman he loves to act like a wife instead of a businessman? Is he wrong about wanting someone to take care of his home and raise a family and give him love and kindness? It means giving a man right when he's wrong and making him feel that he's important, more important than you or anyone else. So you can forget about your Ross Billings, except as the candidate you're going to defeat for Congress. Oh, hello, Buzz. Hi, Ann. Come on in. Yeah. Well, well, well. Uh, how's the future Congresswoman from this fifth district? Oh, uh, well, uh, sit down, Buzz. I'm, I'm glad you came. I, I want to ask you something. Sure. Shoot. How does the election look? Look? Uh -huh. Oh, are you kidding? It's in the bag. You'll win by a 5,000 majority at least. Oh. Billings committed political suicide. <laughs> I guess I know how to pick a winner. You're sure, absolutely certain that I can't lose? I'm offering 50 to 1 with no takers. You're a cinch, sweetheart. Why? Suppose I were to uh, withdraw from the race. Would Ross win? Well, sure, but... What do you mean, withdraw? That's it, Buzz. You can announce it. I am no longer a candidate for Congress. But, but, but Martha... Hey, hey, Anne, what is this? Why is she doing this? I wouldn't know, Buzz. Unless maybe it's because she wants to become a housewife. Ross, may I come in? Oh, sure, sure, come on in. I, uh... I, I came to tell you that, uh... I've withdrawn from the race. What was that? I'm not running. I, I, I've changed my mind. And why, pray tell? Well, um, it, it isn't very pleasant for me to talk about. Something wrong? You're, you're not ill. No. Oh, no, no, I, I'm not ill. I, it, it's just that, uh, well, I had Buzz make a comprehensive survey of the whole district. I, uh, I found out I couldn't win. You couldn't? No. I... I realized that you'd beat me, so, uh, well, don't make me say anymore. Well, what do you know? Now, isn't that just like a woman quitting when the going gets tough? Yes, Ross. No stamina, no force. Why don't you stay in the race and fight it out with be me? Because I, I don't want to fight anymore. You see, just like a woman always changing her mind. Well, what do you want? I just want to be a housewife. Mm. Whose housewife? Yours. Mine? Would you be happy? Deliriously. Well, I'll be damned. Well, in that case, we ought to seal it with something. How about a kiss or two? Or more. I can see this is going to take all night. I know. <laughs> And so goes You Can Argue With Love, which starred Bob Cummings as Ross, Les Tremaine as Buzz, Janet Waldo as Martha, Bobby Brzee as Anne, Marvin Miller as Mr. Bisbee, with Sam Edwards and Viola Vaughn.
Now, once again, it's time for the Fighting Bickersons, created by Phil Rapp. Well, John and Blanche are at it again. Married eight ghastly years. They are living and convincing proof that a couple that complains together remains together. <laughs> Here now is radio's premier couple, that superb actress, Miss Viola Vaughn, and that dynamic performer, Mr. Frank Nelson, who in real life, they are Mr. and Mrs. Frank Nelson. But right now, let's meet them as the Bickersons. Wait a minute, Blanche. Come on out from under that car. I want to talk to you. What do you want? Can't you see I'm busy? Where's Nature Boy? Who's Nature Boy? The cat. I haven't seen him all morning. I think he ran off. He didn't run off. He's under the car with me. Where? Right here. John, that black alley cat isn't ours. Nature Boy has a golden coat. That's him. I've been petting him. You mean you've been wiping your hands on him? All right, so I've been wiping my hands on him. I couldn't find a rag. You should be ashamed of yourself. Look at that poor thing. He looks like he fell in the tar pit. Well, he had no business to come sniffing around while I was draining the oil. Put him in the washing machine. You stop using Nature Boy for a grease rag. How long are you going to be working on that pile of junk? Till I get it fixed. You finally get a vacation, and how do you spend it? Under car. Well, I'm happy here. Before you came out, it was nice and quiet. You got a whole week off from your job. Why don't you do something with it? Oh, what do you want me to do, Blanche? Go down and collect your unemployment insurance. <laughs> you want to get me thrown in jail? You know I'm getting paid while I'm on vacation. Stop waving that oil can around. It's pouring all over the seat. Wipe it up, John. Okay, hand me the cat. <laughs> Here, use this cloth. How much long are you going to be? I'm almost through. Uh, grab hold of that wire, will you, Blanche? This one? Yeah. Feel anything? No, why? Well, I just wanted to see if it was connected to the battery. John Bickerson! Don't take it easy. The battery is dead. I've got to get it recharged. No, you're not. You've squandered enough money on this car. What are you talking about? The only things I've bought in the last two years are a windshield wiper and a crank handle. If you didn't throw money away on all those fancy accessories, maybe we could afford a decent car. There's nothing wrong with this car. Anybody will tell you that 1946 was a great year for a Kaiser. And why do you have to fool around with it so much? I'm not fooling with it. You always have to make these minor adjustments till the car gets broken in. You better move over, Blanche, unless you want to get this paint all over you. Are you going to paint the tires? I have to. The tubes are showing through. John, if you take my advice, you'll trade this thing in. I'm not making any trades unless I can get a good deal. Well, how do you know you can't? Have you tried Madman Munts? I tried Madman Munts. Well, what did he say? He didn't say anything. He just got mad. <laughs> That's because you're not a good businessman. I'll bet my brother-in-law Barney could make a good trade for you. Barney. Barney's a shrewd businessman. He can get things from people. Mm, he got plenty from me, all right. I wish you were more like him. Barney makes good everywhere he goes. Even when he was in the army, he worked himself up to a field marshal. 
He was a private and he was court-martialed! <laughs> Field-martialed! Stop shouting! The neighbors are looking! Well, don't row me up about Barney. He's the one man I hate in the world more than that cat. I'm sorry, John. I just thought we could do something together today. You know the headlights are on? Headlights? I thought the battery was dead. I must have had the wires crossed. Oh, boy, what a lucky break. Now you can give me a driving lesson. Yeah, driving lesson. John, you've been promising it for two years that you teach me how to drive. Oh, not today, Blanche. Why not? Well, it's Christmas Day, and I thought I might drive downtown and uh, look at the decorations. Never mind that. I know what you're thinking of. What am I thinking of? You're thinking of Murphy's Bar and Grill, and I'm not going to let you go near that saloon again. I never go near Murphy's Bar and Grill. That's the farthest thing from my mind. Why must you always accuse me of being preoccupied with drinking? Oh, forget it. Have you got gas in the car? Yes, I put a fifth in yesterday. <laughs> I mean, five gallons. Oh, well, that's fine. When are you going to teach me to drive? Oh, enough. Get in. All right. Now what do I do? Uh, just relax. Now, I want to explain a few things first. Teaching a wife to drive requires a great deal of patience and understanding. And we're going to get along just fine if you listen to me and do as I tell you. Now, if I tell you to put out your hand and slow down, don't step on the gas and speed up. If I say, pull over to the right, do it now, not later. If I say, there's a yellow light, come to a stop. Don't step on the gas and try to beat it. Because if you get away with it, from then on you'll be speeding, going through lights, and I'll get a ticket, and I'll have my license revoked, and it's all your fault! Get out of the car, Blanche! <laughs> Well, you better not do anything. Now, start the motor, shift the first, let out the clutch, and feed the gas slowly. Have you got that? Yes. Start the car. The seat's too far back. It's not too far back. But I can't see the radiator cap. Why do you want to see the radiator cap? How else can I aim it? You steer it! You don't aim it! It's not a weapon! Let's go. Don't, don't rush me, John. Now, let's see. Put the clutch in. Shift to first. Let the clutch up. Easy. Feed gas. There. But why aren't we moving? You didn't start the motor. <laughs> what motor? The one that's under the hood! What do you mean, what motor? Don't snap at me! I'm not snapping. Start the car. All right. Just stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. What's wrong? Am I going too fast? We're not moving. Take your foot off the starter. Blanche, the motor won't start unless you turn on the ignition. Where's the ignition? On the dashboard. There. The key is in it. Well, why do you have to lock it? <laughs> Nobody's going to steal your ignition. All right. Now you got it started. Now put it in first. Let the clutch out easy, and you'll roll along smoothly and slowly. Easy. John, where are you? I'm in the glove compartment. <laughs> are you all right? I'm fine. 
You're not hurt, are you, John? No, no, I'm not hurt. But the car's finished. Are you satisfied? Remember, today's Christmas. Peace, John. Peace on you too, Blanche. I'm sorry, John. Honest, I am. Let's get out of this thing. Have we got any insurance? No. Please forgive oh, me. Oh, forget it. I guess I don't deserve to live. I give you nothing but trouble. Don't talk, Blanche. Why don't you punish me? Get rid of me. Other men do it. I read once where a Russian farmer traded his wife for an old cow. Would you do that, John? Trade me for an old cow? No. But I'd hate anyone to tempt me with a new Cadillac. Come on, Blanche! Well, Rudy Valley, what's up? Frank, you know, my entire career has been in music and seeing shows and sort of just being popular. <laughs> and you're so humble. You've done it all, Rudy. Uh, frankly, Frank, there's one thing I haven't done. Not that. I've done that. <laughs> but I don't remember it very well. What I'm talking about, Frank, is being a radio detective. I've never been a radio detective. And you're going to do a detective sketch next I want to be in it. Well, Rudy, this is a sketch we did on the program last Christmas, and we got so many requests asking to hear it again, that's what we're going to do. But it's a show in which all the detectives are famous detectives. How about an apprentice? No, there's just no part in it for you. How about a musical detective? My time is your time. <laughs> this is not your time, Rudy. You can't be in this sketch. Frank, you know me. I'll get in there somehow. <laughs> Rudy... Take your time and go sit down over there until after the detective sketch. Then you can come back here and discover somebody. I think you underestimate me, Frank. I'm going, but I'll be back. <laughs> the Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Sam Spade Detective Agency. Same one, sweetheart. Sam! Where have you been for two days? Effie, please speak softly and stop popping your gum. Sounds like a cannon. Oh, I've got you, Sam. Are you working on something big? Yeah, the biggest in town, Effie. My head. Your head? Stop! Are you trying to kill me? I mean, your head. What's wrong with it, Sam? I am in a state known as a New Year's Eve hangover. Not to be confused with any old hangover. I made the mistake of trying to stand up drink for drink with everybody in the place. New Year's Eve? Why, Sam, that's a week away. Well, we all wanted to get a head start. <laughs> for two days now, I've been lying in an insensible state... Drinking from a hose I fastened to the water faucet. I have so much water in me now, I will shortly appear on the new maps as Lake Spade. That will teach you the evils of drinking. I've already made plans to take the pledge on my way to the office, Evie, so uh, turn off the radiator that clanks, muffle anything that makes the slightest noise, smash all my drinking paraphernalia with your souvenir carry nation hatchet, and then... 
and only then will I appear to dictate my version of the magic castle caper. <laughs> Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, joins with Howard Duff and Lorraine Tuttle to make your hair stand on end with The Adventures of Sam Spade. Effie, you're a doll, but I'll uh, I'll make it solo. I need the practice. Oh, Sam, I didn't break up your drinking equipment. I I thought maybe the hair of the dog. Yeah, it wouldn't help at all, Effie. Only time and Mother Nature and her infinite mercy can deliver me now. What, what was that? Oh, just your chair squeaking, Sam. Sounded like thunder. Put some three-in-one oil on it. Uh, no, double it. Make it uh, six and two. Well, tell me all about it, Sam. I will, I will, my pet, as quickly as I can. I have to get back to my apartment. Are you ready? Ready, Sam. To Detective Lieutenant Dundee, homicide detail from Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Subject, Milt Larson. <laughs> Dear Dundee, this is not a caper wherein I was a great detective. I'll admit that from the beginning. But I wound up becoming one of the world's great magicians. The Magic Castle is the famous private club for magicians nestled in the hills overlooking Hollywood. It was half past eight. Now, who the hell could that be? Well, maybe it's the telephone company checking the line. Yeah. Samuel Spade speaking. Is your dollar. Sam, this is the first nighter. I'm down here at the Little Theater off Times Square, and I've got a problem. <laughs> Can you and Effie come down here right away? Mr. First Nighter, we're 3,000 miles from Broadway. What? Well, never mind. Hold on to your hat. Through the magic of radio, Effie and I will be right there. That didn't take long. Here we are, Effie. Oh, dear. Sam, what are they doing? Well, it looks like uh, they're about to rehearse the opening of the first nighter program. Shh. <laughs> Listen. It's theater time, and Broadway's buzzing with holiday excitement and eagerly awaiting to welcome an opening night performance at the Little Theater off Times Square, starring Les Tremaine and Barbara Luddy. There'll be a crowd of onlookers and autograph fans on hand at the entrance to greet the celebrities who always attend the premiere on the Great White Way. So let's not miss a minute of the excitement, shall we? Will you join me? There are lots of uniforms in the crowd tonight at Broadway and 42nd Street. Shall we cross the street here? Well, here we are at the Little Theater off Times Square. Have your tickets ready, please. Have your tickets ready, please. Good evening, Mr. First-Nighter. The usher will show you to your box. Mr. First-Nighter. Mr. First-Nighter! Isn't this the spot where the First-Nighter is supposed to read his line? It sure is. Where is he? I'm right here, Sam. Hello, Effie. Oh. I'm so glad you got here. Read this. This note I got. Note? Yes, yes. They're going to kill me. They're after me. Save me. Help me, Sam. Now, now please be calm, Mr. First-Nighter. <sighs> Just a moment now. Let me read it. Yeah. Nothing you can do can save you. You will be killed tonight at midnight, just before your show begins. Midnight? And it's 19 minutes to 12 now. Oh, don't let him kill me. I'm too young to die. Just how old are you, Mr. First Nighter? 86. 
Well, 86 going on 87, I hope. Well, I hope so, too. Now, uh, uh, this should be very easy to solve. It uh, reminds me of a case we had a year ago, last sponsor, or uh, was it the uh, sponsor before oh, that? please, uh, Sam. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember it was a late autumn night. I had a client just like you. 14 minutes to 12. And this fellow got a note that he was going to be killed at 9 o'clock. My note says 12 o'clock. Well, this is Pacific Coast time for the repeat broadcast. Oh. <laughs> when this man called me about the note, we took every precaution... We bolted the doors, barricaded the windows. We had police on every foot of ground around the apartment. Police dogs, electric eyes, burglar alarms. Every precaution known to criminology was taken to see that this man would not be killed by nine o'clock. Oh, good. What happened, Sam? What happened to the man? He was killed. <laughs> but not until 10 o'clock. We'd all gone home. We were all dead tired. He was dead and we were tired. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Oh, Sam, I, I, I don't know which way to turn. I know how you feel. I called every detective I could think of. Why aren't they here? Ah, there's someone now. Twelve minutes left. Yes, yes, come in. My time is your time. Yeah, but not this time. You're no detective. Get out of here. Oh, Excuse me, Mr. First Nighter. I'm Casey, crime photographer. Hold it. Thank you. Look for it in the morning express. Please, Mr. Casey, will you do something? They're going to kill me at midnight. Midnight? Can't wait till midnight. We're going to press it once. Uh, play dead. Lie down on the floor. I'll take one more. Well, I don't want to lie down on the floor. I'm going to be killed at midnight. There's somebody else at the door. Who is it? Good evening. I am Charlie Chan, Chinese detective. Sage has said, no jobs too big, no jobs too small. That's the trouble, no jobs. <laughs> How do you do, Mr. Chan? I'm uh, Sam Spade, license number 137596. And this is Effie, my, my right hand. Uh, Effie, this is uh, Charlie Chan, the man who helps the police solve all those difficult crimes by brilliant deductions. Oh, yes, Sam, I know, but isn't it strange that he's never been able to lose his accent? Oh, please, it's eight minutes to midnight My life is at stake This note I got Note? What? The note? The note threatening my life Mr. Spade has it Here, Chan, have a look What do you make of it? Nothing can help you die at midnight uh, So, who sent it? Who sent it? Who sent it? I don't know. Don't know who sent it? No. No date, no signature. Oh, come, come, Mr. First Nighter. Exactly what I told him, Chan. If people must get threatening letters, the least they can do is supply us with some clue or other. They make it too hard for a cop. It is not easy being a cop, is it? No, sure isn't. Everybody puts you down. How's it going, Dick Tracy? How many jaywalkers did you pinch today? And uh, there's always the one who refuses to believe you're not on the take. All at once, you're a cop, a flatfoot, a bull, a dick. John Law, you're the fuzz, the heat. You're poison, you're trouble, you're bad news. They call you everything but never a policeman. Oh, the pay's adequate. If you count your pennies, you can put your kid through college, but you better plan on seeing Europe on your television set. You rub elbows with all the elite, addicts, thieves, bums, liars, cheats, con men, the class of Skid Row, underfed kids, beaten kids. Molested kids, broken arm kids, broken leg kids, broken head kids, sick kids, dying kids, and dead kids. For every crime that's committed, you get three million suspects to choose from. Most of the time, you'll have few facts, 
and a million hunches. You'll do legwork until you're sure you've talked to everybody in the city. People who saw it happen, but really didn't. People who insist they did, but really didn't. People who remember, those who try to forget, those who tell the truth, and those who lie and the paperwork. You'll fill out a report when you're right. You'll fill out a report when you're wrong. You'll fill out one when you're not sure. You'll fill out one listing all your leads. You'll make out a report on the reports you made. You'll learn to live with a district attorney, testify in court, defense attorneys, prosecuting attorneys, judges, juries, witnesses. Sometimes you won't be happy with the outcome. But there's also this. There are over 3,000 men in this city who know that being a policeman is an endless, glamorous, thankless job that must be done. I know it too. That's what a cop is. Well, one thing is for sure. What's that? I'll never ask that question again. Well, seven minutes to go. Well, this is becoming quite a gathering of the crime clan. Yeah. Uh, come in. My time is your time. Oh, get out of here. Sam, Sam, it's getting late. You'd better solve this case. Yes, it's three minutes to 12, and I'm worried. Do something for me. Do something and save me. Uh, yes, who is it? Come in. The whistler. <laughs> and I know many things, for I walk by night. You're just in time. Just in time for murder, I hope. Don't rush me. I've still got two minutes. What's the whistler doing here? He must know the writers on this show. <laughs> He's no detective. He doesn't even know enough to walk in the daytime. Oh. Oh, it's Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye. The James Bond of the super sleuths. How do you do, Mr. Whistler? How's business with your weird, strange stories? Oh, gory bee, we're killing them. Oh, please, please. Can't any of you do anything? Save me. Save me! Oh, oh they got me. They... Hold it! Don't fall! Thank you. Look for it in the Morning Express. You can fall now. Oh, blood. Goody. Well, they uh, don't need me here anymore. Uh, Just a minute, Sam. How do we know he is dead? Uh, well, let's get a doctor. Let's make sure the corpus is delecti. Somebody looking for a doctor? I'm Dr. IQ. Oh, uh, do come in, Dr. IQ. What are you doing here? I'm looking for a lady in the balcony. Well, you... <laughs> You've come to the right place, but uh, we really need a real doctor. Twenty-five silver dollars says I'm a real doctor. If you can repeat after me this thought twister exactly as I say it. Remember, one time and one time only. It goes like this. Jim is slim, said Tim to Kim. Jim is slim, Tim to him, said Kim. Jim is Tim, said slim to Kim. Uh, to slim, said Jim. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, but 
Here's a box of 24 bars of delicious Milky Way candy bars and two tickets to next week's production here at the Little Theater off Times Square. Merry Christmas. Kathy, uh, we better check this uh, fellow on the floor. I think he's dead. But, Sam, there's a chance he may not be dead. Effie, no pulse, no heartbeat, no blood. He's dead. Well, I was reading in Amy Vanderbilt's book of etiquette that some people are quieter than others at social gatherings. <laughs> I, I don't think that this applies uh, in this case. Effie. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not dead. I'm okay. But, Mr. First Snyder, you were shot four times. I know. They missed me. The bullets went wild. They shot that man over there. Oh, Sam! There is a man lying on the floor. I think he's dead. Well, I don't know, Eff. Let's roll him over and see. Uh, mister, are you, uh, are you dead? Say something. My time is your time! <laughs> Uh, you're right, Effie. It's Rudy Valley, and he's dead. Well, Sam, you solved the case. What would Mr. First Nighter have done without you? Uh, probably a hell of a lot better. Oh, no. Don't be modest, Sam. Why, the number of people who owe a debt of gratitude to you must be... Uh, must be without number, I know. Look at it the other way. The number of people to whom I owe debts, uh, gratitude, and otherwise, the otherwise being, of course, cash, could easily be numbered somewhere upwards Sam, of... Sam, uh, uh, hmm? speaking of debts, this seems like an opportune time to bring up last, last week's, week's salary. salary. Yeah. Well, now, Effie, the first night I should remit me some money soon, or a horse I know might shock everybody and come in. Or I might say, find a $25 bill on the sidewalk somewhere, and uh, then you will be graciously taken care of first. A $25 bill? Effie, le leave us not pick at things. Financially, I'm a little distracted. The, the, the quantity theory of money being what it is, uh, this is the end of my fiduciary year. And of course, since the French franc was devaluated, who knows what will happen to the yen? Oh. Oh, Sam, the yen. That's one thing I know about. Oh? I've had a yen for some time now. Yeah. Well, let, let's get back to that $25 bill. Sam, don't you have a yen for me in there? Of course I oh, do. God. Come here, sweetheart. And that's, that's one yen nobody's going to devaluate. Sam, you can have a seat on my stock exchange any day. Let's get out of this. Say good night. Good night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart. This is Frank Brzee again. I want to add my thanks to the many wonderful people who helped make this program possible. And they join me in wishing you all a Merry Christmas from the American Forces Network around the world. It's been a pleasure to share this Christmas 1982 with you. 
May the coming new year bring you all the happiness and success you deserve, and may each one of us be granted the wisdom to help share a world of peace, love, and progress. Merry Christmas, everyone. This 15th annual two-hour Golden Days of Christmas originated live from the Variety Arts Theater in Los Angeles. Our stars included Curly Bradley, Bobby Brzee, Robert Cummings, Howard Duff, Sam Edwards, Marvin Miller, Tyler McVeigh, Frank Nelson, Les Tremaine, Lorraine Tuttle, Viola Vaughn, Rudy Valley, Janet Waldo, Willard Waterman, and Rhoda Williams. Sound effects were by Cliff Thorsness and a special thanks to Don Hill. The Great Gildersleeve was written by Phil Leslie, Corliss Archer by Robert E. Lee, and the Tom Mix sketch by Jim Harmon. Additional material is by John Jensen and Howard Ryder. Engineering is by Marty Halperin, and The Golden Days of Christmas is a copyrighted program. Now, this is Bill Baldwin speaking for the American Forces Radio and Television Service. Yeah.